The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I'm honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Debbie Weingarten. She is a prolific and award-winning writer, editor, and community organizer based in Tucson, Arizona. Her farming and food writing has been featured in regional and national print and online publications, including in the 2016 and 2017 Best of Food Writing anthologies. Her mission in her writing about food systems and farming is to amplify the voices of farmers by tackling relevant issues including rural poverty, farmer behavioral health, water issues, food insecurity among farmers, and more. She is a former farmer herself and the co-founder of the Farmer Education and Resource Network, an organization working to create opportunities for Southern Arizona small-scale farmers to thrive. She serves on the City of Tucson's Commission for Food Security, Heritage, and Economy, and she is a writing partner for the Female Farmer Project, where she documents the rise of women in agriculture. One of her most popular and important articles, titled, Why Are America's Farmers Killing Themselves in Record Numbers?, was co-published by The Guardian and the Economic Hardship Reporting Project last month. I was so intrigued by the article that I wanted to have Ms. Weingarten on with me today. So thank you so much, Ms. Weingarten, for spending time with me, and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'd like to know a little bit about your background in farming. I have here in your bio that you were yourself a vegetable farmer, Did you grow up on a farm? What was your exposure to farming? How did you get there, and why did you get out? I did not grow up on a farm. I grew up in the suburbs outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. But I can remember being a little kid and drawing a blueprint of the farm and farmhouse that I would have someday. And I was always very interested in animals and livestock and veterinary science and growing plants. I also went to a college. I went to Warren Wilson College Mm -hmm. outside of Asheville, North Carolina, and that was really my first experience in growing a lot of food. The school has a large garden and farm, and they produce quite a bit of their own food, and so that got me more excited about farming. And then I moved out to southern Arizona, to Tucson, to study the U.S.-Mexico border, and I ended up staying and ended up getting married, starting a farm, and doing that for a while. And I got out of it because it was, it's a complicated story, but it was an incredibly stressful experience. It was a lovely experience in many ways, and it was also, at the end of the day, not economically viable for my family. This is a story that we hear repeatedly, and in One of your articles that you had written, not the one that I really want to focus on today, but it was a review article of, the title of the book is Letters to a Young Farmer on Food Farming in Our Future, and it was a review, and you write, however, that the average age of the American farmer is creeping ever closer to 60, and we find ourselves in a serious pickle. 
So there are more farmers, you say, over the age of 75 than there are between the ages of 35 and 44. And if we think about how all of us need to eat, the future does not look bright. So what is going to happen to all of those 500 plus million acres of farmland and this farmland is going to be changing hands and based on your experience and so many other young farmers who deal with access to land, access to capital and access to health care, what do you predict might be the future of farming? Well, I hope it's positive. I know many people who are very successful in their farms as young farmers and organizations like the National Young Farmers Coalition is working to push policy that supports young farmers and beginning farmers. So I have hope, but I also feel like we need to create a system that supports our farmers. So in addition to encouraging young people to go back to the farm and pick up the reins from these farmers who are retiring, we need to put supports in place for them so that they can succeed. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about policy probably a little bit later in our discussion, but I do want to get back to something you said, and that is you know farmers who are successful. Have you come to a conclusion about what it is that those farmers have to reach success that other farmers don't? I mean, I think that's a complicated question. I think that obviously perseverance and the ability to endure hardship repeatedly, you know, season after season after season. And and sometimes that's the personality trait where some farmers are just better able to handle that. I think that I wasn't. And so I say that with so much respect for farmers across the board. And I also think that farmers who might have more access to resources, who maybe aren't making land payments anymore or haven't inherited family farms. And so maybe some of the resources are a bit more set up for them to be able to weather those storms. Mm -hmm. Well, let's dive into the article that first piqued my interest about interviewing you, and that has to do with farmer suicides. And this is such an interesting story, and I guess when I first read it, I thought, who knew? I had no idea the numbers were as great as you report. I don't read about it in the paper. I don't hear about it on my different radio programs that I listen to. How did you discover that it was such a crisis? Well, I guess it starts about five years ago. I was farming at that time. I was the co-owner of a vegetable farm here in southern Arizona, and we were, as I mentioned before, you know, we had high debt, which is really typical for farms. We struggled with affording labor. We were working way too many hours, and we didn't have enough capital to scale up to a profitable size. We were just under an incredible amount of stress. And we were also in a very rural area without cell phone reception and with very spotty Internet service. And I was struggling emotionally I was in an unhappy marriage. I was a new mom. I just had a lot of stress on my plate in addition to being a farmer. And I remember trying to find a therapist who could understand the stress, the really unique stressors that I was experiencing. And so I scoured the Internet and I tried peer counseling and I I just could not find anybody who really understood what it was like. And eventually I found a phone number for an organization called AgriWellness. 
And that is when I first made contact with Dr. Mike Roseman, who is the farmer and psychologist in Iowa, who I featured heavily in the farmer suicide story in The Guardian. He's worked with farmers and their families for 40 years. And his program that he ran for over a decade was called Sowing Seeds of Hope. And it had been defunded by the time I found information about it. And he was still picking up the phone. You know, I called the number and I I fully expected that no one would pick up the phone. And yet he was still there picking up the phone for farmers like me who were in crisis. So from there, I ended up writing a piece for a, a local publication about the challenges of family farming. And that allowed me to kind of dig into behavioral health care. And from there, I discovered the high rate of suicide. And I was like you, I couldn't quite believe it. And it seemed like it was this really significant symptom that was largely being ignored. And so I left my farm, I left my marriage, I became a writer professionally, and it was like, you know, I just could not put down the farmer suicide story. So Mm -hmm. that's how I got interested in it. It was very much a personal drive. Mm -hmm. I was so disturbed by promises made by politicians saying that they would fund organizations to help rural farmers. And then when it came time to make the vote, they voted against allotting resources to those services because they thought it would cost too much. And I thought, gosh, you know, I'd love to see their ledger sheet. How do you weigh the cost of providing mental health care to the loss of a life? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you're speaking specifically about a program that was part of the 2008 Farm Bill called the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network. It was approved as part of the the 2008 Farm Bill, but funding was not appropriated to it, and that's the vote that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it would have provided regional, national helplines, counseling specifically for farmers, and it was estimated to cost $18 million annually. And yeah, I mean, when you quantify or you attempt to quantify the impact of farm suicides, how much food, how much land, how many skills, how many lives we lose, and then the reverberating trauma that 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 is created in families and in rural communities, it's got to be more than $18 million per year, you know, and it just feels like a really obvious place that we need to put our resources, and it, it is stunning that they voted against it. Yeah. We've been dealing with the separation of mental health and physical health for as long as I can remember working in healthcare. And I guess the reason why publications weren't overly receptive to this story is because suicide is this hot potato topic. That's my guess. What would you say about that? Well, yeah, I had a really hard time placing this story. I pitched, I don't even know how many outlets I, I pitched the story to. And the most common feedback I got was mm. too depressing it doesn't have a hook. It isn't relevant because only 1% of the population is farming anymore. So it really took finding the Economic Hardship Reporting Project, which is a journalism nonprofit that finally said yes to the story, and then they helped me place it with The Guardian. And I'm so grateful that you did your due diligence in finding a way to get this story out, and kudos to The Guardian for allowing the story to run. What I thought was so interesting was shortly after you wrote about this problem, 
you experienced an overwhelming reaction, including you've got the attention of legislators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, early January, there was a, a state representative in Washington state who's a farmer himself, J.T. Wilcox, and he read the, the Guardian piece. He was incredibly moved. He really related to it from the hardships that he's experienced as a farmer, and he introduced a farmer suicide prevention bill into the state legislature that would set up a task force comprised of various farm and mental health representatives, provide free behavioral health support for agricultural workers, and it was introduced with 12 co-sponsors, and it's a, a very bipartisan piece of legislation. So it's really exciting to see that in Washington State is a great example of journalism impacting a legislator who then goes on to actually create something that might make a difference. And that is the power of the pen, and I am so grateful for your hard work on this. I need to take one break and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are joined by Ms. Debbie Weingarten. She is the author of the article that we are discussing right now, titled, Why Are America's Farmers Killing Themselves in Record Numbers? It was published in The Guardian. Well, let's talk about the communities that you not only lived in in Arizona as a farmer yourself, but also the communities that you visited as a reporter going into Iowa, for example. What I find in traveling throughout the rural Midwest is that I see a lot of, I guess it would be the end result of exploitation of rural communities, of the industrial system taking over large tracts of land, and the loss of these what used to be rich, cohesive communities in rural America. What did you see? I saw a lot of what you describe. I saw these towns where there's a main street and barely anybody around. I think we were in a town called Onega, Kansas, which is a population of about 700 people. And we were looking around sort of the main street downtown. It was a Saturday afternoon, and we saw one truck that went by and one child playing in her front yard, and that was it. So, you know, lots of boarded-up shops and buildings, and one person I interviewed for the story said it's, it's rural depopulation. You know, he's watching... As farms are going under, as farmers are leaving their land, that greatly impacts the rural communities. And rural communities are then essentially dying. Yeah. I will share the link to your article online so that our readers can see that particular photograph. I've been to many downtown main streets that look just like that. And the feeling that I get when I'm in that place, or even when I look at the photograph, is one of such remorse and tragedy for what once was and what no longer is. And I wonder, through your eyes as a farmer, or a former farmer, and all of the farms that you visited, I do want to touch on policy. And I know that the National Young Farmers Coalition, a wonderful organization, has put together policies that we all need to get around and work for, what do you think would be important for us to get behind as eaters to help support young farmers and make rural communities strong again? Well, I think there are so many things. I mean, you know, one of the reasons why farmer suicide is so high is because 
the economics of our agriculture system, it, you know, are, are totally out of whack and, you know, not benefiting the farmer at all. So farmers have seen a steady decline in the prices that they're able to collect for their farm products for quite some time now, and we're in a farm crisis that is starting to resemble the 1980s farm crisis, which is the thing that, that happened that began to depopulate rural America. So many farmers lost their land, were driven from their farms. So we are coming up to an economic situation again that is resembling that, and that's really scary. So I think looking at the economics, looking at you know parity pricing, which is essentially setting a minimum price for a farm product that's based on the cost of production. Right now, you know, so many of the farmers that I spoke with for this story and for others just can't make a living. And they're literally paying out of their pocket to produce food for eaters because they're not compensated what it costs to produce their product. And that's a huge problem. Speaking as a young farmer and a one who attempted to farm not inheriting land, I think that training for young and beginning farmers is essential. I think that conservation programs are essential. I think it's really interesting to look at succession planning and some of the projects that are working with farmers who are looking at retirement and trying to link them with the young and beginning farmers who are interested in taking the reins are really interesting. I think that it's also worth mentioning, I interviewed a lot of dairy farmers, and I just kind of want to plug that our country has lost over half of its dairy farmers in the past 16 years, and prices for dairy have crashed below 1970s prices. So there's so many things. Right. We could talk forever about it. Right. Well, you know, like you, I always want to have that ray of hope. I think Americans are, our cultural narrative is one where we always have a happy ending. And I sense that that's one of the reasons why the other publications didn't want to tell this story, because we didn't have a happy ending yet. But I think the fact that the legislator in Washington is paying attention and putting forth legislation is a very positive sign. I also think as a consumer, not a farmer myself, and someone who very much appreciates the kind of quality food that I can get at my local farmer's market, I think there is great opportunity if consumers will pay attention to what's going on and join with farmers organize together, form a union together where we can have an influence in farm policy and get back to this sacred, high-quality food that we all depend on for good health. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I agree. I think that those of us who are on the, the table side of the food system can be very important allies for farmers. And I think paying attention to the policy platforms of farmer organizations like the National Farmers Union, like National Family Farm Coalition, Farm Aid, National Young Farmers Coalition, you know, so many farmer organizations are releasing policy platforms, and I think it's worth paying attention to those. And I think it's worth writing your legislators and saying, I care about farmers, I care about the farm bill, requesting that the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network, which was nixed in 2008, be brought back and placed in the 2018 farm bill. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the young farmers that I talked to, of course, I'm very interested in the whole access to health care issue. I, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have access to health care. So 
I feel like because I was so lucky to have access, I think everyone should, and it's something that I work for. And I have spoken to so many young farmers who say, I'm so grateful for the Affordable Care Act. And that act is on the butcher block. And we are looking at a system right now that threatens access to health care. Tell me some more about your insights in working with farmers. What do you think we can do together to ensure that we have access to care? It's interesting. I've talked to farmers quite a bit about health care. And whether they're the farmers you see at the farmer's market, whether they're selling on the commodity market, they're most likely struggling to access health care. Many farmers rely on second jobs for benefits, so they're not only farming, but they're working at a hospital or working as a teacher just so that they can access health care benefits. Many others simply just don't have access. And, you know, I know quite a few farmers who barter for access to health care. They might trade beef or vegetables for chiropractic care or for massages to keep their bodies well. And many other farmers are just kind of crossing their fingers. And something we know about farmers beyond just the high suicide rate is that farming is one of the most physically dangerous occupations out there. So it feels essential that farmers be considering the Affordable Care Act repeal and how that would impact them. Mm -hmm. Your writing is so wonderful. I really, as sad as the story was, I hated to come to the end of the story because I wanted to keep learning more and to find out ways that I could help the situation. And I'm sure from the response, many of your readers felt the same way. What did you not include in this story that if you were to go back and do another story on the topic, what would you like to include? That's an interesting question because over the course of five years, I ended up with hundreds of pages of interview transcripts, of notes, hours and hours of interview tape. And there are so many farmers and farm family members, experts, advocates that I did not include in the Guardian piece. And so, you know, I just want to tell more stories. There are so many incredible, intelligent, creative, innovative farmers with incredible stories and incredible opinions, both sad and prevailing, that didn't make it into the the Guardian piece. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to continue participating and following the conversation. I'm just today there was a piece published by the New Food Economy that was published kind of in, it was about the Washington State bill that was just introduced, and it raised really great questions about farm workers and access to the kinds of resources that Representative Wilcox has in his bill. And so I'm just grateful that the conversation is going, and it kind of has a life of its own now, and I'm working on some more stuff. Good. <laughs> so I'm excited to jump back in at some point. That's so important. I read an article one time, it was actually about marketing salsa versus ketchup. And they said that once the marketer of one of those products stopped advertising, people lost interest in it. And I read another piece about how important it is to have stories in the media because if they're not in the media anymore, people think the problem has been solved. So you've got on the one hand, you've got this importance of always needing to market your product or else people think it's not there. And then at the same time, we also have the need to continue to tell stories until the problem is solved. 
and even after it's solved, to describe how it was solved. So there, there's this importance of having some historical context for many of these problems and therefore the solutions. So I tell you all those little mini stories just to encourage you to keep on telling these stories. I think you've opened up a huge can of worms. There's great interest. We just have a few minutes left. I want to open it up to you and let you tell our listeners anything more about yourself, your writing, your experience living so close to the border. What should our listeners know? I think I want to just kind of go back to the response from the article. The psychologist, Dr. Rosman, who I featured so heavily in the piece, after the piece came out, I didn't hear from him for maybe 24 or 36 hours and started to get worried. And when he finally emailed me, he said he had just been inundated with calls and emails. And many of them were from farmers who had read the article and were reaching out for help. And that was, aside from the legislation, the best thing that I could have imagined coming from the piece. I think I have personally heard from farmers around the world. This is a a global epidemic. Pretty much every country where there's farming, (laughs) which is all of them, are experiencing a farmer suicide crisis of some kind. And it is something that links farmers globally. And so I've heard from farmers in India, farmers in uh, Ireland and the UK and Australia, New Zealand, and so has Dr. Roseman. So I think just the outpouring of people saying, me too, you know, this impacts me too. There have been seed companies and agricultural companies who are on farms all of the time selling product to farmers who have reached out wanting to know how to help. And so I'm just going back to the ray of hope. You know, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that people are hearing it and are wanting to help. And it's people across the spectrum, from farmers to to eaters. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing also is a large contrast between our national cultural narrative of the independent farmer, when really what we need is more cooperation, building support, and strong rural communities. Definitely. I'm thinking about one farmer that I interviewed a couple of years ago who told me that he went to a a local foods conference and he said he went to workshop after workshop on community gardens and farm to cafeteria and, you know, all of these really great initiatives. But at one point he realized no one was talking about farmers and he stood up in front of an entire conference room of attendees and said, I have sat through so many presentations about community initiatives and not one presentation about the well-being of our farmers, and why is that? And so I think that that's a really perhaps hard mirror that we need to put up in front of all of us who do food work to say our food system does not exist without farmers. Farmers are the root of our food system, the center of it, and we need to think about their well-being. We need to make sure they're at the table where decisions are being made, and we need to put them back in the conversation as a critical resource for the rest of us. Well, I want to thank you so much for this interview, for this article, and for all of the work that you continue to do. 
In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. We have been speaking with Debbie Weingarten. She is a prolific, award-winning writer, and in particular, we have been discussing her article, Why Are America's Farmers Killing Themselves in Record Numbers?, published in The Guardian. We will provide a link to that article and more. Her website is www.cactusrenwriting.com, and we'll provide a link to that as well. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you. Thanks for having me.